Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of After Work Drinks With. This week we are so excited to be talking to Madeline Madden. Madeline is an Australian actress who's making waves in Hollywood, starring in Picnic at Hanging Rock, Dora and the Lost City of Gold, and Mystery Road. But Maddie's just as known for her activism, something she's been involved in publicly since age 13, when she became the first teenager to deliver an address to the nation as part of Generation One, an initiative to end Indigenous disadvantage. As a great-granddaughter of Hetty Perkins and granddaughter of the most famous Aboriginal rights activist Charles Perkins, Maddie's passion for equality in Australia is second to none. We chat to her about growing up in her family, why it's so important to speak to each other about our different lived experiences, success and ambition, and surprise, surprise, RuPaul's Drag Race. Please rate, review and subscribe, and we will be back on Wednesday. Hi, Maddie. Thank you so much for joining us. We're so stoked to have you on the podcast. Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me. Of course. So just jumping into things, you come from an incredible family of activists. Could you tell us a little bit about growing up with your family and what your childhood was like? Yeah, of course. Um, I My childhood was very, like, rich with family and culture and 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 art and so we were always encouraged to kind of um take any path that we wanted to so I felt I feel very blessed that you know my entire life I've been really supported by a very understanding and and um supporting family um growing up at home I mean we lived with my grandfather and my grandmother um so my grandfather Charlie Perkins for you know, the first five years, four years of my life. Um, so that was quite an amazing, you know, household to live in and to experience him, even though I was young, but just in, um, you know, a, a family personal sense, you know, I saw quite a different side to him than what um, many people in public would have seen to him. Um, but I've had a very wonderful childhood. I'm one of six. So I've got a lot of lovely siblings, which has been you know, a massive blessing during particularly this whole COVID experience. So, um, 
yeah, you know, I think everything that I've done for my that I've done in my life is because of my family and the support they've given me. Amazing. And like you say, there's a, there's a lot of kind of performing arts and dancing and acting yeah. and things in your family. Um, what was the point where you realized that acting specifically was what you wanted to do? And then what was the process of being like, okay, I want to make this a career and then the steps to actually doing it? Totally. Um, I think from very early on, I knew that I wanted to be in the arts in some form, whether that was through music, dancing or acting. Um, my mom is a curator, so we would always have, you know, artists around or dancers or, you know, people that were very involved in the um, in the creative art scene uh, in Australia over at our house all the time. So that was a really inspiring for me, just seeing these incredible, um, beautiful, creative people just you know, taking us in, but not treating us like children ever. Like we were always asked what we thought about what was going on in the world or, you know, very appreciated. And I think for me, I was like, this is who I want to be. These are the people that I want to be around. And I had quite a difficult time in school. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of never really went. And it was because my home life was so extraordinary. And I was like, I know what I want to do. I don't want to have to go to school. So. For me, I, I knew pretty early on, which I feel quite blessed um, to have kind of had that certainty in what I was going to do. Mm, that's so cool. So your roles have been um, like really, really interesting, but also really varied. So you've done like the fantasy, you've done history, you've done kind of a live action cartoon. Um, what was your internal process like when you're deciding which roles to take? Hmm. Um, I definitely try and do things that I haven't done before. Um, and I know that that is kind of a luxury where I can get to a stage and, and be, you know, selective with my roles. And it definitely hasn't always been that way. Um, I definitely find that doing drama is easier for me. I, I feel like kind of getting emotional and emoting intense emotions is kind of I find that strangely easier than having to do dialogue sometimes. I think the hardest project that I've done, funnily enough, was Dora and the Lost City of Gold because I was surrounded by a group of very intelligent and funny people and they just had this ability to kind of just improvise just at like the drop of a pin. And for me, I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. You get really like in your own head and start doubting yourself. So for me, that was actually a massive learning experience of just um, learning to let go, have a crack. Yes, it might be really bad and no one will laugh at what I'm, at my terrible joke or I have a crack and I say something really funny and it pays off. Um, and so I think that was like a big, a big lesson for me personally and professionally but my process is different every time. I mean, I'm not kind of one to really, um, uh, you know, like really look over a script and look over it and look over it. For me, I just start getting in my own head. So I think, cause I haven't had any um, formal training. A lot of what I feel like I can bring to a character is potentially my raw emotions and experiences. So I just try and go off my natural instinct. Amazing. Um, so you've been working in both Australia and in Hollywood and they have historically been incredibly kind of whitewashed industries. Um, have you seen change in the last sort of 10 years that you've been working in the industry on that front? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like I've seen 
a change in Australia, um, one of the shows that made a huge impact on my career and my life was Redfern Now. And I feel like that really changed, um, you know, in Australia, the perspective in Australia um, of Indigenous people and that we're a very diverse group of people and we all lead very different and unique lives. Um, and that was incredible to work on because I was working with Indigenous, indigenous actors, directors, writers, producers. So that was a really eye-opening experience for me when I saw that, oh, okay, I can do, I can do any of these roles really. So I think that was quite a big moment for um, Australia as a collective, not just Indigenous people. Um, so I've definitely seen changes here and over in working in the States, it's interesting because I mean, I, I feel like I get auditions more over there. I don't know. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm not, um, maybe kind of labeled over there or sorry, typecast is the right word. So I find that it's quite liberating working internationally. And I think one of the things that really struck me as like, oh my God, this is amazing, was when I was doing my audition for say The Wheel of Time, which was in the UK, um, I walked into a room and it was just the most diverse uh, kind of casting waiting room I've ever seen in my life. And I was like, this is where it's at, this is amazing. And I kind of, pretty much my goal is I want to help elevate indigenous uh, voices and faces and uh, you know encourage and celebrate diversity on screens and there's been all this conversation in recent years about making the film industry better for women is that something that you've that's translated to you and have you found it uh, the casting in Hollywood different to Australia in that sense yeah I feel like it is I feel like it is very different I mean again I'm I'm pretty new to the whole international um, film scene, but it's, I've, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, definitely in Australia. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's kind of a tough one because my experience has been being an Indigenous woman in the film industry. So generally that's kind of like a double whammy of <laughs> the struggle sometimes. Um, but I have experienced um, you know, women who have worked really, really hard and have had a very long-standing career be turned down or not given the same opportunities as men. And for me, that was really confronting when someone um, kind of told me about their experience that they had. And that was really upsetting. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the time, maybe we don't see it because with the Me Too movement and, um, you know, now people are coming out with their stories, maybe these things are being kept under the surface more. So the Me Too movement has definitely changed things in our industry 100%. I mean, ever since that movement, we've had, um, you know, kind of legal conversations with production companies about them supporting us. And if we have any harassment claims, we can go straight to them and we won't lose our jobs. So I feel very blessed to be a woman in this in this day and age working in the industry. So in 2010, you became the first teenager to deliver an address to the nation on national TV, and you gave a two minute speech on the future for Indigenous Australians. Um, it's kind of an amazing feat for a teenager, which made us wonder if you were like, especially mature or you, you touched on high school, but like, you, what were you like as a teenager? Were you different to your peers because you were just very advanced? 
mean, I feel it depends who you're talking to. Um, I was definitely a very uh, strange teenager and child. I think I think I was just pretty out of control, but not in a sense of like I was wild. I just was had I just kind of didn't really conform to to I guess where my peer group was at, and so for me that was a real struggle. And and that's why you know I did have the opportunity to do the address to the nation because again from my childhood up until now I've always been asked how I think what I think about what's going on in the world and um and so when I was I think yeah 12 or 13 I was like this is something that I feel passionate about and it's something that I've lived my whole life experiencing so why not say something about it and then at the moment I didn't quite understand the gravitas of the situation and how big it really was and what it meant and now looking back on it I'm like oh that was it was it was quite a lot to be, I guess, that fearless at the time. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, just that's why I loved acting, because for me, it's always been an escape from, say, what has been going on in my in my personal life. When you said earlier that you um, didn't really enjoy school, why mm. was that? What was that in reference to? Totally. Yeah, I um I experienced quite a lot of um, racism when I was in my in, in high school. So for me, I never really, when I was in school, I never really felt like I was a victim of bullying, but now coming out of school, I'm like, oh, hundred percent, that was bullying. And I was a victim to like, you know, systematic racism. So I just didn't really ever want to go to school because I just didn't feel like a, um, I just didn't feel valued there. And I didn't feel like I was as smart as everyone else. And so that's why, you know, creatively, I felt like I was very intelligent, um, and that's why I preferred to work rather than being at school. And also, again, just being treated like an adult, which you are on film sets, mm. um, you know? So I think maybe I have a problem with authority. I don't know, but. <laughs> that's so funny. Cause one of my friends, one of my good friends is an actress. She lives in New York and she was saying she was on, um, you know, have you ever seen the whale rider? It's a New Zealand yes. film. Yes. So she was yeah. the lead lead character on The Whale Rider and she was saying that she was 13 when she got that role, then she was nominated for an Oscar, Best Actress, and then she was like going back to school after that. I was like, I can't deal with this because I don't want to be told what to do every day. Totally, totally. It's kind of that weird thing. I mean, I'm like, I don't want to be told what to do, but it's like part of my job is I have a director that tells me what to do. So it's, I'm a bit of a walking contradiction but it's more of a collaboration with what we do. So yeah, I, that's why I kind of had a difficult time with school. Yeah. So your grandfather, as we touched on before, Charles Perkins and your great grandmother, Hetty Perkins, are two people that, you know, Australia's education system is like woefully ignorant or quiet on a lot of the issues around Indigenous Australians, but Everyone knows Charles Perkins. Everyone knows Hetty Perkins. Um, what was the the kind of like lessons or legacy that you learned from them, either directly or kind of indirectly, from having them in the house? Totally. Or yeah. your grandfather specifically. Totally. Yeah. I never. Um, my great grandmother passed away before I was born, um, so unfortunately, I never got to meet her. But definitely, she was very much, um, you know, still a living on in my grandfather, and. I think she instilled in him a really, a really good work ethic and a fire in your belly and doing what's right and standing up for your people. And that's definitely been passed on, um, you know, throughout generations. 
And I feel like I definitely carry some of his um, characteristics with, you know, that fire in the belly and that's something that he would always talk about. Um, and, you know, I feel very proud of their legacy and what they've done and, and how they've helped people's lives and, and changed and changed Australia. And that's something that I kind of want to do in my own different way. So, yeah, your grandfather is obviously an incredible activist, really well known in Australia. But um, I was reading a piece that you and your mum did and you talked about how your grandmother was also pretty incredible because she married an Aboriginal man in the 1960s as a white woman in Australia. Um, Do you know how much, do you know much about how the relationship was viewed by the wider community at the time? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think when, I mean, it was definitely frowned upon and, um, you know, it definitely wasn't the normal kind of thing. It's pretty amazing. Uh, she's got a, We've got a German um, background on my yeah, maternal grandmother's side. And even her parents were very supportive and, you know, they lived out in the country in South Australia. So for them to even be accepting of this was pretty remarkable. And for my nan to go through what she went through, and I feel like that's something that, you know, gets overlooked sometimes, the role that um, particularly women play um, you know, and for her non-Indigenous woman, the struggles that she faced and potentially being ostracised from her community. Um, I know that when my mum was born, uh, the the kind of the um, midwives and the doctors, they thought that she had been pretty much raped because they're like, why would, when my mum came out and she had darker skin, they're like, why would you have a baby that's black pretty much? So that was like really full on for her. Um, But she is an absolute powerhouse and um, yeah, no, she, she's just like a solid unit and I can see why her and my, my grandfather would have been such a good match. Um, So there's such an incredible movement now with Black Lives Matter online and in person throughout the world. Um, And it's kind of prompting people to take a closer look at their own behavior and their country's behavior. And I think it is forcing people to look at the problems that exist in Australia, but do you get frustrated seeing maybe how much Australians are focusing on the U S and acting as if it isn't such a huge problem at home? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's that kind of thing where a lot of Australians are so horrified about what's going on in the States and going, Oh my God, look how crazy that is. It's, it's a broken system or whatever, but it's like, that is happening in our own backyard. And, you know, even with the turnout of the Black Lives Matter protests around the country, it just shows that we all are seeing the injustices that are happening around the world, the systematic racism and the oppression. But, you know, it's it's quite a scary time and a very confronting time, but also an exciting time because you know, you feel like this is a time for real change. Things are so messy at the moment with COVID and, and, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. I feel quite, um, you know, exhausted by it, like a lot of people do, but also really liberated in the fact that I feel like, you know, hopefully we will get some change out of this. And hopefully people can, you know, have a look in their own backyard, particularly in Australia. Yeah, so something you touched on before and something we talked to a few of our guests about is how racism isn't always experienced as a single violent or hateful event or something super overt. And often it's kind of either well-meaning people who consider themselves liberal 
or um, people just kind of using microaggressions. Can you That's kind right. of talk a bit about what you have been subject to in mm. that sense? Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, racism is, it's different in every country. And I mean, I can't really speak for what the experience would be like in other countries because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not from there. But I know definitely in Australia and from what Americans have told me and Brits have told me that have travelled here um, and everyone else is that Australian racism, racism is quite just open and in your face and there like you really don't have to scratch the surface that to find I noticed that moving from New Zealand as well yeah it's like it's way more you're way more open over there that's right and it's actually I mean I don't it's it's confronting because it's in my experience people have just said it so casually or to make a joke and people think it's funny you know it's I think it's such a big part of Australian culture is how racist really it is here and you know I think if you're coming from other countries where racism is bad you're like okay but it's kind of in other countries it sits under the surface a bit but here it's just out in the open like um so yeah it's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves feel the warm breeze relax and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Is it something that you so growing up was it something that you literally had to so we've talked to a couple of our guests and um they said i mean obviously you come from a line of activists so maybe it's a little different but they said that um literally we spoke to a woman in the u.s a couple of weeks ago and then another woman in the uk and she said their parents actually had to have conversations with them and sit them down and say a this is why life is going to be different for you and b you're going to have to work so much harder than your white peers to just even be considered for anything and that's, and that's something that we, as white women, didn't even know happened. Mm, yeah. I think the way that I kind of explain it is it's, you know, it's hard. A lot of people say it's difficult to just get a seat at the table. For us, it's just hard to just, like, get a foot in the door to get to that table, you know? It's like the extra added element of just even being considered for a position or a role is really difficult and then that's without even going into um you know being selected for something like I know even in in acting just getting an audition is hard and then it's being considered for the part so it's this extra added element of um struggle and 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 we don't get as much opportunities you know I think from 
it's not maybe something that my family have really like openly said, this is what's going to happen in your life, but it's just been something that we've been taught to deal with and how to walk into a room feeling empowered with our head held high. I think that was kind of the, the lessons that my, my family have passed on to us is just how to be your proudest, most empowered self um, in those situations. We um, have spoken to quite a few women about how they're kind of, I mean, self-care is a term that gets like bandied about a lot and has kind of lost its meaning, but like how they're looking after themselves during this time, because it's like this double-edged sword of, um, yes, it's amazing that people are taking notice, but then it's also this like massive frustration that it's taken so long for people to recognize something that's so blatant. Mm. And then like all of the things that something like this brings up where people are feeling triggered or reminded of past trauma or, you know, needing to protect yourself while also promoting this movement <laughs> have you kind of found that double-edged sword yeah in the last few weeks totally I mean I I've been trying to trying to stay off social media as much as possible or just monitor what I'm looking at um because it's very easy to just like go on Twitter or Instagram and just be flooded with you know police brutality or just what's going on in the world which is which is really confronting for everyone so for me I'm just trying to limit um the amount of social media that I'm looking at, you know, a reason why that I really, why I was keen to talk to you guys was because I've seen the great work that you've been doing and the people you've been interviewing. And I was like, I know that this will be a safe space. So I think as well, it's really important that we keep ourselves in safe spaces. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't go out really into threatening places where I feel like I might get triggered, particularly now. Um, because also it's like, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I just want to stay in control of myself in this time. But it's just, yeah, I mean, you know, having open and honest conversations and it's okay to have bad days and it's okay to cry. Um, and yeah, you know, just try and look after yourself as much as you can. I mean, I have good and bad days. So sometimes I stay in bed till 12 and sometimes I get out of bed at eight. So yeah, it's, it's different day by day. So yeah. It's difficult as well because we like feel in a conundrum sometimes when we talk to our guests because we're interested in who you are as a person and as a performer and your work and like that's why we want to talk to you but then it feels super weird and disingenuous not to bring up the topic of race because it's so essential to um, the conversations yeah. we need to have right now and to your lived experience mm -hmm. but then you worry that you're, you're kind of focusing on race and making someone feel like... <laughs> that's all they have to talk about but it's you know it's just yeah it's it's kind of difficult totally yeah it is and I know why well, I know for me you know my identity is a huge part of who I am so it's just something like you know you said it's part of our lived experiences and that's what's something that we're going to talk about and what we bond with people over and and um so and and I think particularly in this climate is it is good to now that we are having these dialogues and opening up these conversations and trying to change perspectives and just get a better understanding of each other. I think that's so, that's the thing, like, because you can see all of this really horrible violence on Instagram or on the news, and you can kind of hear all these horrific stories of police brutality. Mm -hmm. But until you kind of sit down with another woman your age, who's really similar to you, who you would get yeah. along with, who you would have a drink with, who you're friends with, who can literally just be like, 
yeah, when I'm in a car with my boyfriend, the cops just pull us over for no reason. We don't know if we're going to drive away or not. And we're like, you know, it, it actually makes you understand it on a level of that I hadn't understood it before. And to actually hearing someone that you, that would be your friend Mm. Just say, this is literally how different our lives are that you just don't even, and you don't even notice it. Yeah, that's right. I saw, I saw, um, and, and that's it. it. It's, it's part of, you know, being a, a good ally and, and the journey of supporting each other. And there was, I think it was Natalie Portman's, um, she did a post on Instagram, like maybe a couple of weeks ago when everyone was talking about defunding the police over in the States and, uh, it was, she just wrote a really great kind of post just saying like when at first when people were saying defund the police, all of a sudden I was really scared and I felt like I wasn't protected and, and she's like, but then it occurred to me that the police make my friends of colour feel that way. And it was just, you know, kind of her being like honest about that and open and being like, this is what my friends, now I can have like some form of an understanding and I need to change you know, my perspectives and my attitudes. And I was like, that's a really um, honest and uh, humbling thing for her to say and to also share with other, like, say, non-Black or Indigenous people of just being like, it's okay to feel a bit scared, but it's good to be honest about it and change is coming and we need to just, like, unite together and support each other. Yeah, I think women, white women especially now, are really we especially are reassessing everything just every single thing and i think people feel ashamed i think there's like a huge amount of shame once you start reading it that you could be just walking through life just like completely ignorant and unaware i'm like thinking about when i was 15 and i was and i was shoplifting and they were like ah whatever or even when i was at school and i would wag school and the teachers would pull me into the room and like force me to sit my exams and I was like, I don't, that would never have happened if I was like not white, I don't think. Even my sister, she, her name is a Māori name. And she said that her teacher talked to everyone else in the class about going to uni, except for her and the other two brown kids. Yeah. I was like, I just, it's, yeah, it's like so crazy when you think about it. Totally, totally. And it is just that kind of like, again, same issues with like being at school and stuff. It's just like, again, feeling undervalued or or you know just not considered for anything that's why you know like when people say with opportunity that's a perfect example of that I mean like me and my sisters something that we like to do when we walk our dog is just like walk around our neighborhood and just like look at houses and look how nice they look and all that kind of thing and my sister was like you know if we wouldn't be able to do this if we were guys like you know there's even like you can't you we wouldn't be able to walk around our neighborhood if we were indigenous guys and you're just I was like oh my god you're so right like so it is it is crazy just to it's definitely these times make really all of us you know just think about life and and what's going on yeah moving on to kind of something we were talking about in an episode this week we kind of had a meltdown about the meaning of life um and just success in general um and how we have kind of started to give up on the idea or our generation that if you achieve enough you'll be happy and there's this whole millennial burnout um thing going on what's your relationship with success been like and ambition um I think I'm a uh 
very ambitious person, but in the sense that I kind of run my own race, will try to. So I try to not look at what other people are doing um, just because I know that that's just not good for me and the person that I am. Um, but I think with success, it's, it's, it's a tough thing. I think they're two different things. And like you said, uh, having the kind of success burnout, I totally agree that that is something that our generation is experiencing and because it's so expensive to just like get a house now. So it's like, you feel like you can never make enough money to like actually just set up your life and maybe you'll just be in this kind of <laughs> ongoing thing of paying rent and just like struggling or whatever. Um, but I think for me, success is, I've heard once that like, if you're successful, a lot of the time you you spend it kind of alone because you're just working and, and you kind of have this bubble around you, which the thought of that really terrifies me because I don't like to be kind of left alone. I like to be around people. So I know when I, I on this job, this new job that I've worked on Wheel of Time where I moved over to Prague and I've been, I was meant to be living there for 10 months before COVID. And that was a really daunting, scary moment for me because I was like this is a really great opportunity and this is a job of a lifetime but before that I literally had like two weeks of just having a bit of a cry because I was like I know I'm leaving my family my support network um for this job so I think with success you know you do generally sacrifice quite a bit in your personal life so it's very good to have a good therapist <laughs> agreed <laughs> A recurring theme in all of our episodes. <laughs> God, I love therapy. Therapy, therapy. Therapy, <laughs> therapy. therapy. Um, can you talk to us a bit about um, this new project that you're working on? Because I know Rosamund Pike's in it and it's based on a really successful novel or set of novels or is it just a novel? Uh, it's, yeah, so it's a series, series of books, 14, yeah. Yeah, series of books. So what, um, yeah, what was the process obviously there's a casting process but like deciding that you were going to go and live in Prague was that even a question yeah. or you were like I'm just I've got to do it because I want to do this project yeah so yeah I mean it was definitely just like I mean I I wanted to do it and this was definitely I was like okay this I think this could be my my big my big break um and it was definitely like I kind of I was not going to turn it down but it, it was just a really intense time I mean I I had about two weeks to prepare before I left. So that was saying, you know, leaving my partner and, and in Australia and all of my family and packing up for 10 months. So it, it was- That's a long shoot, 10 months. Yeah, it's a really long time. It's, it's a really, really long time. It's because, yeah. of, you know, they're big fantasy episodes. So it takes quite a long time um, to shoot with, you know, a lot of battles and that kind of thing and locations and and stuff like that. So I was terrified going over there because I had I hadn't met anyone, um, and so I guess it was kind of like starting at a new school, but on a different side of the country, a different side of the world. But you know, when I got over there, I was surrounded by the four other people that are kind of my age. Um, we're like brothers and sisters. I mean, we're all thrust into this very foreign, strange kind of situation where we really only had each other. And so we became extremely close. And then we've got Daniel Henny and, and Robsmond who have just been the most incredible leaders and have given us so much support and guidance. So it, it's, I was terrified, but it's actually been one of the toughest challenging, challenging um, 
but really empowering experiences of my life yeah and it's a huge undertaking as well because it's it's a massive series that people are so invested in and it means so much to them and you know I was terrified when the casting call was going to when the casting announcement was going to be made because you know sometimes you don't look like what people uh, envision the characters to look like so I was expecting you know this kind of wave of um, I guess hate and abuse but that I got <laughs> the complete opposite which was really nice I'm sure if I went digging I would find find it but <laughs> but it's it's been it's been quite a um, eye-opening experience sorry that was a really long answer <laughs> No, no, that's great. That. Um, I was very excited to read that you're a Drag Race fan because rewatching it has been all that's getting me through COVID. Um, I feel like everyone has their own like emotional reason for being so invested in that show, and I was wondering if you know what yours is. Oh, I mean, I made my sister always say it to each other, but I like even get emotional just thinking about it. Like Jinx Monsoon, like her kind of beautiful, just awe about her. And I think what I really love is just the Queens that maybe don't have a lot of money or don't have like the nicest clothes, but they just have that like incredible confidence and just that ambition and, and that drive. And again, it's, that's what, you know, got RuPaul to, where RuPaul is and I just love that but I also you know in the LGBTQI plus community there is just that sense of yes again community and love and 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 mothering and taking people under your wing and and making your own family which is just so special and I think a lot of those you know a lot of those fabulous queens um have experienced a lot of trauma and discrimination in their life and they've turned it into something beautiful and have you know taken in hate and have gone out with love so for me that's what I love about drag race and I cry all the time <laughs> I, I always say to people I'm like it's such a wholesome show I'm like it you is. don't understand it's not it's not crude or lewd or like it's so wholesome and like for nourishing it is it's wholesome and just like even the hosts that they have on like I remember when like you know Gaga came on um I think it was like season nine and that was just when she came back and gave the queens one by one just like a bit of positive feedback I was like that means so much to people just that one mm. thing of like kindness and just going, you're amazing, and that encouragement, like, that goes such a long way, and that's what I love about that show so much. <laughs> yes, I'm still too. trying. I've, like, watched – I watched season nine, and I'm watching season six, is which is supposed to be the best one. Season – Yeah. Isn't season six, I said it? I said nine wasn't the best one to start on. So six is, like, Adore and Bianca and – Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Courtney. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just watched All Stars 2 again – which I think might be the best season of all time. I love I love UK Drag Race. That's just We yes. met Bag of Chips. Bagger. Yeah, oh, I met Bag of Chips at a party. <laughs> oh and I've never asked anyone for a picture in my whole life. Well, you didn't ask her. Ever. I had to. And I was like, Izzy, I drank like six margaritas. I was like, Izzy, I just, I can't tell you. I'm just freaking out. And she was like, go and ask her. And I was like, I can't. And then she was like, my friend wants a photo with you. <laughs> You're an amazing wing woman. You are an amazing wing woman. <laughs> so jealous my sister will be. 
so so jealous <laughs> i know and i'm like excuse me uh beggar um <laughs> i like don't know what i'm saying especially in like the kiwi like aussie accents as well like yeah I just love it. baggages <laughs> <laughs> okay well we're gonna wrap this up now but as you're part of our After Work Drinks With series, um, literally because we want to have a real After Work Drink With You if it wasn't for the stupid lockdown, um, we just wanted to ask you what your favourite bar is and your drink of choice. Ooh, my favourite bar. Um, okay, my drink of choice would definitely be a margarita. And Good choice. my favourite bar. Oh, God even really know i mean just anywhere where the drinks are good and relatively cheap and there's low lighting that's good for me so yeah i'm not very picky in that sense but yeah definitely good margarita what's your guys mixing bar margarita margaritas and where did we drink where do you where do you live sydney sydney yeah where did we used to drink the court the court house the in court Newtown? House. Oh, in Newtown. Yeah, yeah, the courty. <laughs> we were always there. Or we'd always go after work, we'd go to the Dolphin. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah in Surrey Hills. Yeah. 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 Oh yes. I, I like I like good pub, house, like yeah. a good beer garden. Yes. A good pub. Mm. That's I feel like I kind of go more to pubs than I do to a nice The Cricks is good. The cricket, cricketers' arms. Oh, arms. oh yeah. 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 I'm gonna say the cricketers' arms is yeah probably my favourite pub in Sydney just because it's that classic old Australian warm nice pub. Yeah, feels very hot. yeah. <laughs> well, we went there for like a really boozed up sad Valentine's Day. Do you remember Izzy? <laughs> oh, did we? <laughs> what? Just me and you. Yeah. Me, you and Tilly, and I tried oh, to yeah. hit on the bartender, and then yes. he had a crazy name. They had a crazy name yeah. and a girlfriend. And a girlfriend, but it was mainly the name. Nice. It was yes. mainly the name. What was his name? <laughs> I'll tell you it, but we'll beep it out. His name was. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I was like, I have to go. He was like, I have a girlfriend. I was like, I don't care. Dude. I don't care anymore. <laughs> really a name that you can say, like, with a serious face having having sex or anything. <laughs> yeah, no. in bed. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Right there. <laughs> Why is that anyone's name? I don't understand. Like, surely you go, surely you go back to the drawing board and be like, let's keep thinking. Yeah. Or surely by the time you get to like, obviously over eighteen, you're like, okay, I'm gonna change it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's time to change the name. That was wild. But anyway, so thank you so much for yeah. talking to us. Thank you. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been it's been a real joy. Bye guys. Bye, nice night. Yeah, bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 